This morning we are going to continue talking about moving with God. I got a great word for you. Uh, two verses I want to give you, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. The first verse is found in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14. It says, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people, says the Lord. The second verse is found in 3 Peter, the second verse. There's only one chapter in the book of 3 Peter. The second verse says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I pray that you would give us understanding, uh, that you would open our minds to understand, our hearts to receive and may our lives be changed in the hearing and believing of your word. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Today I'm going to talk to you. I'm just going to share my heart. And matter of fact, I think that's what a sermon is supposed to be anyway. It's not supposed to be so much a performance or a, a speech or a homily. Uh, but it's supposed to come from the heart of a speaker. And uh, today I, I'm not going to preach at you. I just want to talk to you. And I want to share my heart with you. I want, to, I want you to pretend that we're sitting at Starbucks together, just you and me. And I'm just kind of sharing some stuff with you uh, from my heart. Um, I want you to understand that everything I do flows out of my personal mission in life. Everything I do in life uh, flows out of this personal mission. And what I do with our church uh, flows out of that mission. What I do if I'm making a video, if I'm recording a song, anything I'm doing flows out of there's really only one thing I'm trying to do. And my mission is twofold. Number one, to help people draw closer to Christ. And number two, to help people move forward in life. Mm. And here's what I find. I find that it's very rare to find someone who's doing both well. Mm. I find some people are really good at drawing closer to Christ, but their lives are in shambles. Mm. Wow. And other people are really good at moving forward in life, but their walk with the Lord is in shambles. Right. And I find that some people are kind of, everyone else is really somewhere on that continuum. Your walk with the Lord is stronger than your external life. The hard thing about it is if you really want to be a witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus Christ, you need to be able to do both. Because think about it. Come on. If all you do is draw closer to Christ and then you go out and tell people you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and they're like, so I can become like you? <laughs> right? I mean, what, what has your faith in Christ done for you? Right, right, right. Your faith in Christ has not, has not, has not affected your life in any positive way. Mm. Or you're just balling in the business world. You're a politician on a mission. <laughs> you're just killing it. You're just bossing up everywhere you go. Everything you touch, you got the Midas touch, and everything you touch turns to gold. But you, can't, you don't have two scriptures to rub together. Wow. And then you tell people in, in your world, man, I just love Jesus so much. They're like, for real? Because, <laughs> I mean, if your life is what it means to love Jesus, then I guess I love him too because you and I are exactly the same in the way wow. we live our lives. Wow. I don't see any difference in you. Wow. I don't sense the presence of God in you. I've never felt anything different about your life than mine. Wow. But you're telling me you got Jesus? Right, right. Jesus is completely irrelevant to you. Now, most of us are not at that extreme, at either extreme, right? 
Most of us are somewhere in the middle. Number one, you find that one component of your life is prospering more than another component of your life. Now today, I'm going to look at this passage here in 2 John, I'm sorry, 3 John chapter 2, 3 John verse, verse 2, where John says, I'm praying for you. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that you might prosper in all things that's moving forward in life and be in health that has to do with your physical world. Even as your soul prospers. John is actually writing to people who are already prospering spiritually, internally, in their soul. Their walk with Christ is already on lock. They're deep in the word. But now John says, but now I'm praying that you'll prosper externally as well. Now I'm praying that you'll get a promotion at your job. Now I'm praying that you'll finally finish that degree that you've been working on but can't seem to finish. Now I'm praying that your marriage will get better or that you'll find a spouse. Right, right, right. And what we find as believers, what I find when I talk to a lot of believers and even, even non-believers and young believers have this hang-up. And the hang-up is, I think all God wants is the prosperity of my spiritual life internally. Mm. He doesn't care about my job or my money or, or my, my... He doesn't care if I actually make it in the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The only thing he cares about is that I'm spiritual. If I, what God really wants for me is for me to pray like six to 12 hours a day, memorize scripture all day. <laughs> you know, he wants me to go to work and, you know, just barely do enough to sustain my job, but spend the rest of my time, you know, uh, feeding the homeless and praying. Mm. And so there's this fear that all God wants for me is the prosperity of my spiritual world. And that's what hinders a lot of people from even coming to Christ. Yes. Yeah. Is this presupposition that if I come to Christ, that means the end of any sense of drive or pursuit of anything greater in life. Everything now is just about this monastic way of life, praying. Right, right. Do you know that if you went back to the Old Testament, the primary sign that God was with you is that you prospered externally? That's good. That's good. They had no hang-ups about prosperity. Today, you, you just say the word prosperity, and I bet some of you even in this room right now are like, oh, no. Oh, Lord, not the prosperity gospel. Oh, God, no, not the prosperity gospel. PV is getting his Creflo dollar on this morning. His Kenneth Hagin. Just name it and claim it. Mm. And we, we're so against the prosperity gospel, we throw out the word prosperity. Wow. But John starts his letter off by saying, I'm praying that you would prosper That's good. in all things and be in health That's good. even as your soul prospers. And I was talking to somebody about that verse who was just, he's one of those anti- Prosperity gospel guys? I mean, he doesn't know what he's for. He just knows what he's against. <laughs> I'm against the prosperity gospel. Okay, well, what are you for? I'm just, I'm, I'm against the prosperity gospel. <laughs> so, so what do you do with this verse? That you would prosper in every way, even as your soul prosper. He said, when he said prosper in every way, he's just talking about your inner life. 
I said, then why would he juxtapose it against the prosperity of your soul? Right, right, right. Why would he say, even as your soul prospers, if he was talking about your soul prospering in the... I pray that you would prosper internally, even as you are prospering internally. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. Why is he comparing it? If he's talking about the internal in both cases, why is, he comp why is there a comparison? That's good. No, he's talking about the external. What he's saying is, I'm praying that your external life would be a valid visualization, manifestation, illustration of what has happened in your internal life. That's good. If your internal life is prospering in your walk with God, then your external life is supposed to prosper as well. Yes. Come on. Amen. Come on. But there's obstacles. And so the blessing of Isaiah 57, 14 comes and God says, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. That is one of my life verses. Every time I prepare to preach, that verse is ringing in my heart and mind. Benjamin, when you stand before my people, I want you to remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. I want you to get the stuff out of their mind and heart that prevents them from prospering in one way or another, that hinders them, that keeps them from moving with God. There's obstacles in your heart and mind. And the obstacles are not demonic. They're in your mind. The devil is actually not strong enough to stop you. The only person who can stop you is you. That's good. The only way the devil can stop you is if he can get you to believe something that he's doing in your life. Wow. Without, if you don't believe him, he's got no power. And so God wants to remove the obstacles from your life. And he wants you to prosper in every way. He wants you to draw closer to Christ. This is what, this is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. You're drawing closer to Christ every day. Every day. You're closer today than you were yesterday. And you're able to look back a year from now and say, wow, look how much ground I've taken in my walk with Christ. I'm so much closer to him today than I was a year ago. And every day you're supposed to be moving forward in life. You're supposed to look back a year from now and say, wow, look at how I've grown in my professional life, in my intellectual life. Look at the books that I've read. Look at the processes that I've completed. Look at the work that I've produced every day in your relational life. Look at how my marriage has grown. Look at how my friendships have developed. That's good. That you might prosper in every way and God wants to remove the obstacles from your heart and mind that might prevent you from doing just that. Second Peter, uh, one of my life passages as well, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, first he talks about the interior. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Actually, he sets it up there. He talks about the internal and the external. His divine power has given us everything we need for life, which is external, and godliness, which is internal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Isn't it interesting that his promises affect both your internal and your external? That's good. You got promises for your internal. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have promises for your external. Commit your way to the Lord and he will make your plan succeed. That's good. Promises for the internal and promises for the external. Which group of promises are you more prone to embrace? To believe? 
Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that by them, we might escape the corruption that's in the world through lust and participate in the divine nature. Notice the first effect of the promise is that we're able to live in the world and prosper in the world without being destroyed by the corruption that comes through lust. Meaning, one of the obstacles that keeps you from pursuing any type of success is worrying that success is going to corrupt you. That's good. That's good. I better not get too much money because if I get too much money, it's going to corrupt me and it's going to destroy me and I'm going to become a wicked person. That is a hindrance in your mind that keeps you in a poverty mindset that keeps you from actually entering into the blessing that God has destined you for because you're so afraid that success is going to corrupt you. Yeah. I'll never forget, I, I had a... I, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to tell that story, but I, <laughs> no, I will tell that story. I was <laughs> That's good. when I was when I was at, I was teaching theology at a Bible college. This was maybe 15 years ago. And I had a student there who his family was very, very wealthy. And they lived in Fremont in the in a very, very wealthy neighborhood in a multimillion dollar home. And he invited our whole class over his house. And we didn't know that he bawled like that. You know, <laughs> we, we he didn't tell us. He just said, hey, come over to my house. I want to make you guys some dinner. So we're like, OK, cool. So the whole class, we're driving to his house. And as we're driving, the neighborhood just gets nicer and nicer, you know? So you're driving like, oh, wow, this is nice. And you're like, oh, dang. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, straight baller. And then you get in, oh, snap. You know what I mean? It's like, you're like, by the time, and then you get up to his, and then the gate opens, and you come into the compound, and his whole estate is there. And his guest house is bigger than my, my actual house, right? And so, you know, so we go into his house, and we're like, man, I mean, he had like these marble floors, like these huge marble blocks and, and I mean, it was just it was just fabulous it was, and one of my students one of my students he walks in and the whole time we're there he says out loud over and over again oh the Lord knows better than to bless me with something like this oh I wouldn't even be a Christian anymore if the Lord gave me so I would I would I would totally backslide if I had a house like this oh man I know the parties I'd be having up in here if I had a house like this and he just kept saying that over and over again I was so confused I thought why would the blessing of the Lord draw you away from the Lord? Like, wow. why would having something from God make you an unbeliever? Like, what does that make any sense? How does that make it? I would just be so thankful to God. I would never sin against him again. I, I would just wake up every morning. God, you're so awesome. Thank you so much. You've got to get a different mindset about blessing. It's going to draw you away. Can you imagine if my 10-year-old daughter had that mindset? Wow. I, I really want a computer, but my daddy better not give it to me because I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't even love my daddy anymore if he gave me that computer. Wow. I'm so glad kids don't think that way. Yeah. She just asks. If she wants it, she's like, Daddy, give me the blessing. <laughs> now, I can't give her everything she asks for. She's, 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 got a, you know, she's 10 years old, but she asks for like 18-year-old blessings. I'm like, no, 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 I can't give you that yet. But she, she's never thinking, yeah, it's good he didn't give me that because if he gives me that, I would just walk away from him. I would never speak to my parents again. That way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The blessing is going to pervert you. No, no, no. His divine power has given you everything you need for life that's external and godliness that's internal. That's good. And his promises enable you to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust, which means that God actually can empower you to walk in blessing without being seduced by the lust of the world. Yeah. That's good. Wow. But you're not passive in the process. In order to draw closer to Christ and move forward in life, there's some things that you have to do that take your effort. That's good. 
Peter sets this up by talking about his promises and his divine power that are able to enable us to do this. But then he says in verse 5, for this very reason, that is because you've got all of these promises from God that are able to enable you to do this, for this very reason, make every effort, another translation says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith Wesley said it this way, he said, faith alone saves, but a faith that saves is never alone. <laughs> That's good. To be saved, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he brings you back into right relationship with the Father. Believe that he died on the cross, that he was risen again from the dead. That's all you got to do is believe in Jesus, and you're saved. Faith alone saves. No, no good works required. That's right. But a faith that saves is never alone. You, you never have just faith. <laughs> if you are truly saved, the result is going to be that you're going to live different, that you're going to act different, you're going to think different, you're going to speak different. Why? Because a faith that saves is never alone. Yeah. That's good. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. The word virtue in the Greek is arete. It's actually an Olympic term. The Olympians, the, the, in the, the Greek, um, what do they call those games? The Olympic Games. <laughs> and the core value of the, of the Olympic athletes was arete, excellence. To be your very best at what you were doing. That's good, that's good. Come on now. Isn't it crazy? You thought, all I gotta do is believe and go to church and sing. Peter says, that's great. Believe and come to church and sing and then go to work tomorrow morning and do your very best. Yeah, that's good. Add to your faith excellence. Isn't it awesome that there was a Joseph in the Bible who wasn't content to just sit in his room and sing Kumbaya? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when he became a slave in Potiphar's house, he, that, he knew that that was not an excuse for him not to get up in the morning and do his very best he did not use the severity and the negativity of his situation as an excuse to do less than his very best. He didn't make the fact that his, he had a mean boss. He said, well, forget it. If I had a nicer boss, maybe I'd do better. But shoot, I'm not going to try. Joseph woke up in the morning and said, you know what? This situation sucks, but my work is not going to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm giving all diligence. I'm going to add to my faith. Arete. Excellence. Listen. Faith will save you, but it will not get you a promotion at your job if you're not doing your very best. That's good. That's right. Okay. No, because I've been to I've been to college. I've been to I got a master's degree and I did eight years of Ph.D. work. And I've seen too many students thinking that they're going to get an A on the test by faith. <laughs> How many times have I gone in the prayer chapel and seen students in there who had not studied praying and asking God for favor on the test? You're putting your faith to work in the wrong context. Faith was not designed to be a substitute for your excellence in your external life. That's like eating 8,000 calories and then praying to God for weight loss. Before the tests, when I was in Bible college, there were so many students in the prayer chapel crying out to God for favor that one of the professors put a sign on the wall that said, when all else fails, try study. <laughs> okay. right, yeah. Wow. 
I don't want to find you in the prayer chapel before the test. I want to find you in the library. You're applying your faith to the wrong things. (laughs) Make every effort to add to your faith excellence. You want to move forward in life? Ask the question, are are you giving diligence to adding excellence to your faith? Are you in the process of becoming excellent? And excellence will require your discipline, your diligence. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith excellence. And to excellence, knowledge. There's some stuff you got to learn. There's some books you got to read. You know, I find that by and large, Christians... Read less than non-believers. Come on, Benjamin. And not more. Come on. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing to add knowledge yeah. to your life? Yeah. Yeah. You just believe in God. Oh, I just believe God. One day God's going to give. The promotion's going to come. You haven't read a book. You haven't <laughs> taken an online class. Right, right. Say, well, I'm not a good reader. Get an audio book and listen to it on your jog. I mean, literally, it's never been easier to pursue knowledge in life than it is right now. Literally, you can download an audio book and somebody will read it to you while you're in the car. Yeah. I'm just not a good reader. No, you're just not very dis- diligent. Yeah. Right, right, right. You just don't have any diligence. That's the problem. <laughs> and because you lack diligence, you lack excellence, and you lack knowledge, but you're going to come to church and cry, oh, God, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're applying your faith in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And then he says, to knowledge, self-control. Mm-hmm. And that word self-control, it literally means discipline. You know what discipline is? You need to write this down. Discipline is the progressive removal of regret. You want to know how to tell whether you need discipline in any area of your life? Just stop and ask yourself, what's the last thing you regretted? And wherever there's regret, you need to apply discipline in that area. Regret transpires when you do something right now that you're not going to like that you did later. If you look back and go, dang it, I shouldn't have done that. Man, I shouldn't have said that. That's called regret. Discipline means before you do say, do or say anything, you stop and say, am I going to appreciate the fact that I did or said this later? Discipline is the ability to curb my actions now so that I will not regret my actions later. And this is the trap of the enemy. This sounds like a a, a self-help talk, but it's not. (laughs) Because let me tell you one of the traps of the enemy. One of the greatest traps of the enemy is shame. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because regret is the open door to shame. That's right. That's right. As soon as you start feeling regret, the devil comes and he just bombards you with shame. Shame is when you've lost the distinction between what you did and who you are. That's right. Regret is when you regret what you did. Shame is when you regret who you are. Mm. And now you've lost the distinction between what you did and who you are. And regret is when you open the door to shame. 
And sometimes we think, I'm going to open that door but not allow the enemy to come through it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and here's what the world would say. No, no, no. Here's the key to overcoming shame. Just don't be ashamed. <laughs> That's what the world would say. Wow. Hey, you can escape shame. Keep doing everything you're doing. Just don't be ashamed about it anymore. Wow. Wow. Shame is when you do the thing you hate and then you hate the thing you do. The world says, here's how you solve that conundrum. Stop hating the thing you do. Wow. Just embrace it as this is who I is. Yeah. Wow. I'm just being me. I'm just doing me. I'm just being me. It's authentic. I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. No. That wow. thing, that thing, but what if it's a lie? Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> then you're just authentically living the lie <laughs> and made a decision not to feel ashamed of it anymore. Yeah. Wow. That's so Isn't it better to stop doing the things you hate? Yeah. That's good. If you hate it after you do it, how about don't do it anymore? Yeah. You say, well, I don't have the power to stop doing it. Exactly. Yeah. But his divine power yeah. has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Yes, yes. What you need to do is learn how to draw the strength of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the word of God to empower you to stop doing the things that you hate Come on. so that you can stop hating the things that you do. Because if you hate the things that you do, you'll end up hating yourself. And the enemy would love for you to hate yourself. You forget that if you hate yourself, you're hating the one whom the Lord loves. Whom the Lord loves so much that he gave his life to die for you. I remember one time I was berating myself in my own mind, just beating myself down in my own mind, calling myself names. Benjamin, you stupid, you big, but what is wrong with you? You used to, you ever just cuss yourself out in your own mind? And I'll never forget the presence of the Lord drew near and said, who do you think you're talking about? How dare you talk about my son that way? Like the Lord was mad at me for the way I was treating me. Think of, think of how you would feel about anybody berating your own child. I mean, if Dyrell saw somebody talking to Obi that way, he would just go gangster. And Dyrell is, Dyrell is the kindest soul you've ever met. <laughs> Dyrell would give you the shirt off his back in a second and wouldn't think nothing about it. But I guarantee you, if somebody was messing with his son, if somebody was standing over his son going, you, and just cussing at it, Dyrell would go gangster in a second. Am I lying? He would go gangster in a second. You, you see a Dyrell you never saw before. <laughs> you just see a look on his face, like... What did you just say to my son? <laughs> that's how the Lord. That's how the Lord feels when you berate yes, you. Yeah, come on. Wow. Come on, that's so good. Discipline. It's simply making a decision. I'm not going to live with regret anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lay awake at night on my pillow fighting to go to sleep because I can't stop asking myself the question, why the heck did you do that? I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to be at peace with myself. You need to be able to respect yourself. You need to be able to say to yourself when you lay on bed at night, good job today. That was good. You did good today. Discipline. And then he says to self-control, perseverance. And that's the hardest one. Because anybody can be self-controlled for like a day. (laughs) Or a week. But perseverance is 
now that you've started being self-controlled, now continue that indefinitely. Yeah. Remember, several years ago, the Lord started speaking to me about submission. The Lord kept taking me to that passage in Hebrews 13, 17 that says, uh, submit to uh, obey those who have rule over you and submit to their authority because they watch over your souls as men who must give an account. It's talking about submitting to your leaders in the body of Christ, right? In the church. And so, but the Lord was not speaking that to me about tell the people in your church to submit to you. No, that's not what it was about. The Lord was speaking to me about submitting to my spiritual father. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I realized there was all this rebellion in my heart because I was afraid of what that meant. I was afraid that that meant, you know, he's going to control my life. Like he's going to tell me where to live or I don't know. I don't even know what I was afraid he was going to tell me, but I was just wrestling with that in my heart. And so I would go to see him and I would leave and I'd say, Lord, he didn't give me anything to submit to. He would, he would speak to me for like three hours, but he wouldn't give. And all of a sudden the Lord showed me he's given you all kinds of stuff to submit to, but you're completely in rebellion. And when I would, when I would think back on the conversation, here are the commands that I'd received. Be encouraged. Wow. The devil's telling you you're a failure. You're not a failure. That's good. The, the devil's telling you you're unfaithful. No, you're faithful. Yeah. And I was warring against those words of encouragement, and I realized, oh, that's what the Lord actually wanted me to submit to, <clears throat> wow. was these words of encouragement. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so then I was, oh, yeah, I draw encouragement. Yeah, I'm going to be encouraged. He'd say, be encouraged. i said, yes, Lord, I'm encouraged. I would just, I'd, all of a sudden, I would intentionally receive and I, I, I talked to my wife about it, and I say, "Baby, this submission thing is powerful." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because I've got no reason to be encouraged, but I'm only being encouraged because he told me to, yeah. and I'm just obeying my leader. He said to be encouraged, so I'm encouraged, right. and I would receive it, right? And then my wife would receive it, and what was crazy was it, it was it, it affected our marriage in a powerful way. You know what was crazy? That submission thing got so powerful that we were having a tough time in our marriage. This is uh, more than ten years ago. But we called he and his wife to come over to our house. And my wife straight up told him to his face, I don't love him anymore. She said that about me. She said, I don't love him anymore. And he said, yes, you do. And she said, okay, I do. <laughs> wow. We, we, didn't need, we didn't need 12 years of marital therapy. Just submission. Yeah. Just submission. That's all it took. That's good. He said, yes, you do. She said, okay, I do. I do. <laughs> Even though everything in her felt that she didn't, she starts, Lord, I love him. I'm thankful. I thank yeah, you for my husband. Yeah. I, I love him. I do love him. That was a lie from the enemy. I'm not going to believe that lie anymore. Wouldn't that be crazy? But, but, but here's the, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. I remember one day I was in prayer and I was talking to the Lord. I was like, Lord, I'm just so discouraged. I'm just so, oh, and I just help me, Lord. I need you to come strengthen me right now. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're in rebellion. I said, what am I, what am I, what am I, what? What more do you want from me? And the Lord said, because I told you to be encouraged. Wow. Wow. So, but that was months ago. <laughs> yes. And the Lord said, Benjamin, this is why I can't take you to deeper places and give you greater revelations. Because every time I give you the low-level revelations, you hold on to them for a short amount of time and wow. then you dump them. I need to be able to tell you to be encouraged and you cling to that for the rest of your life. Then I can give you a higher word. Wow. But I have to keep giving you the same revelations over and over and over and over again because you've got discipline, but you don't have perseverance. Wow. My God. Oh my God. Come on. 
Do you realize that perseverance is the one thing the devil does not have? The devil is strong. He will fight you in, in a multitude of ways. But the one thing he has, he does not have, is perseverance. He can't fight a long fight. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And you need to remember this, like, because you, you, we all find ourselves in battles with the devil where it is just like, it just feels like the, the opposition coming against you is so strong that you'll never be able to overcome it. Just keep this in your mind. If I just don't quit, that devil's yeah. going to fall. Come yeah. on. All I got to do is don't quit. Amen. He's strong, but he can't fight a long fight. Amen. Some of you are facing temptation right now that's so strong that you feel like you're going to crack at any second. Let me tell you something. You're not going to crack. The devil's going to crack because yeah. he can't fight a long fight. He comes at you with everything he's got for a short season. And if you don't fall during that short season, he falls. And you look back on it and say, oh, man, that temptation broke off of me so easily. I'm so, I'm so thankful I didn't give in to that. The problem is... We have such little perseverance that we give in so quickly that the devil doesn't even have to try to fight a long fight. Wow. One of my favorite verses is when it said, after the temptation of the 40 days in the wilderness, and Satan left him waiting for another opportune time. The longest the devil could fight was 40 days. Wow. That was the longest he could fight, 40 days. If you can resist the devil for 40 days, you could overcome anything. After 40 days, he just left. That's why there were only three temptations. That's all the devil had. That's all he could muster. That's all the stamina he had. That's all the gas he had in the tank. And after the third one, he was like, I'm out. That's all I got. Listen, if you get some perseverance in you, if you get some long suffering and if you get some perseverance in you, I don't care what the problem is. If you can resist it for 40 days, the devil is going to have to walk away. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and he shall flee from you. Perseverance. Don't worry, I'm almost done. Perseverance. And then from perseverance, brotherly kindness. I had to meditate on that and say, how did you get from perseverance to brotherly kindness? Because here's why. Because if you actually get full of faith and then you add to that faith excellence and then you add to that excellence knowledge and then you add to that knowledge self-control and then you add to that self-control perseverance, you will be balling in life and in your I mean, you will be out of control on a whole nother level in every way. And it'll be real easy for you to look down on your brother who's still struggling to get a little bit of perseverance. Wow, wow, wow. wow. Doesn't have any excellence. Still undisciplined, both in his life and in his faith. Wow. It'll be real easy to look down and say, man, all you got to do is do what I did. Mm. I used to be like you. Mm. Let me school you for a second. Mm. <laughs> it's real easy to get high and mighty when you've overcome yeah. something. Yeah. And to forget that 45 minutes ago you were that brother. Wow. <laughs> it's real easy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's real easy to it, when you have climbed a mountain, it's so easy for you to look down at the little peons at the bottom and think Look at these lesser mortals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've got to add to your perseverance, brotherly kindness. Yeah. 
And brotherly kindness means, literally, brother, brother, you know what the word is in the Greek for brotherly kindness? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Phileo is love. Delphi is brothers. It's brotherly love. Brotherly love simply means, I just love being with you, regardless of what state you're in. Meaning, I don't need you to achieve a certain level before I love being with you. I love being with you just as you are. I accept you. I love being with you, even though your journey is different from my journey. And I will never sit next to you as one who is higher and mightier than you. I'm just going to love being with you. Brotherly love. That, that's what Jesus did with the 12 disciples. He said, I just want to be with you guys. I just love being with you guys. It's that sense of camaraderie, that sense of brotherhood, that sense of community. That's what we experience. That's what we're supposed to be experiencing in community groups. That's why we have community groups. So you can experience brotherly love. Philadelphia, another word for it is koinonia, yeah. fellowship. It's just, I just love being with you and we're from different backgrounds and we have different experiences and we're in different places of strength. The Lord loves connecting us strength to weakness. Mm -hmm. He puts your weakness against my strength, but then he also puts my weakness against your strength. Mm -hmm. Brotherly kindness is that acknowledgement in my heart that regardless of how strong I am in one particular area of my life, there's a place where I'm weak and you're strong. Yeah. And so I need you. Yeah, that's good. But then he ends by saying, and to brotherly kindness, love. Which is interesting because actually in the Greek, phileo means love. Mm. And agape means love. It says phileo, uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love. And then it says agape, love, love. (laughs) He's talking about two different levels of love. Mm, That's good. Notice it's Peter who's saying this. Why is this interesting? It's Peter who's saying this. Because in John chapter 20, verse 17... After the resurrection, Peter had gone fishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had that whole catch of fish. Yeah. And then Jesus is sitting on the shore cooking fish. Mm-hmm. Translation, Peter, I don't need your fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Come up here to the shore, Peter. I'm going to make you a meal that you didn't participate in. I'm going to provide you with nourishment that comes fully and wholly from me. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive. Isn't it funny? Peter fished all night to catch his own fish, but in the morning, Jesus was already waiting with the fish. Mm. And then he comes to the shore, and he's got all of his own fish, and Jesus looks at all of the fish that he caught, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Looks at the fish. But when Jesus said, do you love me, do you know the word he used? Agape. Mm. And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know the word Peter used? Phileo. Mm. Phileo, brotherly kindness. Mm. Translation, Peter, do you love me with your soul? Mm -hmm. Peter's response, Lord, you're my dog. (laughs) You're my boy. (laughs) You're my homie. I love being with you. Peter, do you love me? Agape. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. Three times Jesus asked him the same question again and again and again. Jesus was making a statement, Peter, I know you love me at this level, but I need you to love me at this level because the difference between agape and phileo is you phileo those that you feel connected with. But agape is completely and totally unreserved Completely and totally 
I can't think of the word I'm trying to look for. I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> agape. Jesus says, greater agape has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. Jesus says, by this, John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you agape one another. Not phileo, mm. agape. Mm. Jesus says, I want you to go from camaraderie mm. to absolute love. Peter got the message. That's why Peter's the one saying this. Mm. And add to your phileo, agape. Wow. That's good. Agape is the ability to love God fully and wholly from your soul mm. and to love others fully and wholly from your soul. Mm. The word love has become a cliche in our culture. Yeah. Mm. You get some good ice cream. Mm, I love this. <laughs> mm, I love this so much. And then you go home and you tell your wife, I love you. <laughs> and you tell your children, I love you. And then you eat a bowl of ice cream. I love this. <laughs> We should, I think we should have a different word for experiences that we enjoy. Yeah, that's good. Because the word agape, you don't love anything or anyone with agape love unless you're willing to die for it. Come on. Yep. Come on. And you would not die for that ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Although you might say, this is to die for. <laughs> we use the most extreme <laughs> language, you know, right? It's like <laughs> the millennial literally. What actually means figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> I am literally starving right now. No, you are not literally starving. <laughs> You're feeling very hungry right now. Right? It's like we have so trivialized language that we've lost wow. the actual meaning of words. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so that wow. when we see the word love, it doesn't actually, it just means I enjoy the experience of you. Right. Mm. But Peter says, no, 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 no. Add to your phileo agape. And then Peter says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. I got to finish this up. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cousin, by the way, my cousin Aaron. We grew up together. He says, but he who lacks these things is short-sighted. The word in the Greek, myopia. Yeah, yeah. Myopic. If you, I remember when I was a little boy and uh, I was in school and the teacher said, Benjamin, read what it says on the blackboard. And I went. She said, come closer. And I came closer. And I kept thinking something was wrong with me. Like, how come all these other students can see what it says on the blackboard, but I can't see? She says, come closer. <laughs> Finally, she said, come up to the blackboard. I walked all the way up to the blackboard like this. Dog and cat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the teacher said, excuse me for a second. She called my mom. Take this boy to get him some glasses. This boy needs some glasses. And my mom took me to the optometrist that day. And the optometrist gave me the eye exam and said to my mom, he's nearsighted or myopic. Myopia is nearsightedness. He who lacks these things is nearsighted. Short-sighted, which means you can only see what's right in front of you yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. 
Right. You can't see anything further. You, you're not long. You, you, you're not far sighted. You can't see what's far. You only see what's right in front of you right now. That's why you always regret what you do later because you can't see later. Wow. 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 You can only see now. That's good. How many times it felt like the right thing to say at the time? (laughs) (laughs) Seemed like a good idea. (laughs) Nearsighted. Now, watch this. I got to finish this up, but we're getting somewhere. What makes you nearsighted? You're not naturally nearsighted. Something makes you nearsighted. Do you know what makes you nearsighted? Intoxication. Do you know why people do crazy stuff when they get drunk? Because myopia sets in when you are intoxicated. Mm -hmm. You get enough alcohol in you, you have no ability to see tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's why you get drunk and you do crazy stuff. You could even kill somebody or rape somebody when you're drunk because all you see when you are intoxicated is what's right in front of you right now. The sex you want to have, the, 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 the drugs you want to take, the conversation, whatever it is, the money that you want to have. Oh, people steal cars when they're drunk. Why? The drunker you are, the more intoxicated you are, the more myopic you are, and the more myopic you are, the less able to see the consequences of your actions or even the severity of your actions you are. Do you realize that alcohol is not the only thing that can intoxicate you? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Actually, there's something prior to substances and its emotions. Yeah. Do you realize you can get intoxicated by pain? Yeah. The experience of rejection can hit you so hard that you're intoxicated. Suddenly you're myopic. You're not able to see anything more than the fact that you are rejected right now that rejection is all up in your face and it clouds your vision and you can't see that on the other side of that rejection is your heavenly father with open arms saying you are accepted that i'm here from you that i'll never leave you nor forsake you you're myopic you're short-sighted even to blindness peter says and you and you have become oblivious to the fact that you have been cleansed of your former sins you've forgotten that you've been washed you've forgotten that you've been cleansed and in that state of myopia you need something to numb the pain so you look for a second level of intoxication to intoxicate you so you don't feel the emotional intoxication and that's when you need a substance or an event or a person or an experience yeah. wow. wow and this is why we're living in such a culture of addiction yeah. is we don't know how to deal with big emotions right. we don't know how to deal with it with sadness and with rejection and with we don't know how to deal with pain And so we look for something to numb it and we become so short-sighted that the thing we reach for to numb it, it's got to be within hand's reach because when you're blind, you're just reaching for something right here. And whatever I find right here, if it's a needle, I'll plunge it in my arm. If it's www dot something, I'll just click it. I just need something to numb the pain right now. And now tomorrow, I'm back into that shame cycle where I hate what I did and I hate who I am. Wow. It's a cycle. You hate what you do. First you do what you hate and then you hate what you did. And now you're so intoxicated with shame you need something to make you feel better. And what's right in front of you? You do again what you hated. And then you hate what you did. And you're so intoxicated you need something to make you feel better. So you do what you hate and then you hate what you do. And the cycle continues. It's the song that never ends. It just goes on and on my friend. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing singing it forever just because this is the song that never ends. 
And so Peter says, now that you've believed in Jesus Christ, let me tell you how to apply the power of your faith in Jesus Christ to every area of your life. Let me tell you how to draw the strength from your faith in Christ that has the power to set you free, to break you out of the cycle, and to enable you every day to draw closer to Christ and to move forward in life. That's good. Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people, says the Lord. Here's how to remove the obstacles, giving all diligence. Add to your faith. Add some excellence, add some knowledge, add some self-control, add some perseverance, add some brotherly kindness, add some love. Make a decision. I'm going to break the cycle and I'm going to move forward in my walk with Christ. And every area of my life is going to move forward. And you know what? If I need some help, I'm going to come alongside another brother and sister and say, listen, listen, nothing is more powerful than accountability mm-hmm. and vulnerability. Mm. Here's where I need help. Mm. Here's where I need your help. And I'm telling you this to come out of the darkness I'm going to break the power of the secret. Because sometimes in my myopia, all I need is the voice of someone who can see further than I can right now. A non-intoxicated person next to me to say, Benjamin, I know it feels like there's no way out of this. And I know it feels like that this hole that you're in is so deep that you'll never climb out of it. But I'm telling you that it feels like it's 70 feet deep. It's seven inches deep. Mm -hmm. And if you just hold my hand, I'm going to stay right here with you. And I'm going to stay with you until the Lord pulls you out of this hole. And I'm going to be pulling right along with him. Because I will never, ever, ever shame you for the hole that you're in. Because I've had my own holes. Some of them I'm still digging myself out of. And the Lord is still digging me out of. And that's why the Lord lets us walk through stuff so that you never look down on anybody who's walking through anything. That's right. 2020 is going to be a year of victory for you. But the Lord is going to empower you to participate in your own, vic- in your own victory. But let's begin by asking him for diligence. Give me the diligence I need to add to my faith. Bow your heads. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. And right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak a hedge of fire over every mind and every heart. Yes, Lord. And I silence the voice of shame, and I silence the voice of fear. Silence, do not speak. Shame and fear. You have hindered God's people for long enough. And I speak the word of the Lord over this house today. Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people, says the Lord. Shame and fear and condemnation and accusation, all of it, you got to go right now in Jesus' name. You got to go. You got to go. I want you right now to just speak over your own life and command any of those things that have any effect on you to get out of your tent. Just speak it right now. Say, get out of my tent. Get out of my tent. No more. No more. 
This is a year of victory for you. No weapon forged against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up in judgment against you, you shall refute. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And I release you today into the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would rest heavy upon every heart and every soul. And that you'd grant peace. And I pray more than anything else for hope. Because, Lord, there's some folks in here who battle hopelessness, and especially in the night. You just feel like it's an uphill battle. It doesn't let up. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And I say to you that there is light. The Lord is removing the obstacles in your own heart and mind that might prevent you from prospering in every way even as your soul prospers. Lord, just let this word settle upon every heart and every soul. Let it settle deep into the soil of the heart. Let it bring forth fruit. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. If there's anybody here, you say, I have not given my life to Jesus. I haven't taken that first step. But I want to take that step today. Let me say to you, it's the most powerful decision you could ever make. If that's you, you say, I'm ready to take that step. It's just a step. It's not a promise of perfection. It's simply a step of faith and trust. It's a decision to trust God for your salvation. You say, I'm ready to take that step. Just lift your hand where you are. We want to pray for you. We always get that opportunity. If there's anybody here. Everyone else, as we close the service, we're going to have our ministry leaders here at the altar. And they would love to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever. Precious Father. I thank you that you are here. Extending the love of your son, Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit. May that love abound in every heart and in every soul. Cause us to know the truth, that the truth might make us free. I pray it in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.